If you're going to live a life of victory and blessing in God, there does come a thing called opposition. But in today's program, we're going to have some practical and I believe helpful insight that if you are opposed, you will actually come out on top. Standalone program, handling opposition and prevailing. How do you prosper in crisis? And what do you do with the complications? I spoke about a word from God in a time of crisis. And God has a lot to say. In fact, crisis can be like an alarm clock that wakes up the sleepers and sobers up the drunkards. And I don't mean literally drunk, although they can't be included. I'm just talking about people who live in a reality that's not the reality they should be in, and certainly is not connected to God's reality. God loves all people, including sleepers and drunkards. And I'm using the phrases that straight out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which tells us don't sleep as others do, but watch and be sober. And it talks about the drunkards. The good thing is those who are children of the light and children of the day have been delivered from their once sleepiness and drunkenness, and now they're walking in the light. What we look at is when there is a crisis, whatever that crisis may be, don't run from God. Run to God. Run to the throne of grace and come in very boldly because waiting for you is God, His grace, His mercy for your time of need. And don't be surprised that you have a word from God, a promise to hold on to, and that you actively seek Him till that word bears fruit. Joseph had a promise from God that he would be a supreme and effective leader, that even his older brothers and father would be under his leadership. When he announced this dream as a young guy, it got him into serious hot water with his insecure and jealous brothers. In fact, they betrayed him, sold him into slavery. And so the would-be supreme leader was now a slave, not a leader. But he passed the test, held on to his dream, did not forsake his integrity, and in one day he was catapulted from prison to palace. His dreams came true. But please note that for Joseph, he faced opposition. And he faced it starting with his own family. Not uncommon. It's always a shock when you think the very ones that should be supportive of you become your obstacle, your barrier, your hurdle, the wall to be scaled. I want to look at the topic of there is, first of all, great blessing, prosperity, and the like when you obey God. And then what do you do that when you prosper and the tall poppy kicks in, how do you handle it? Tall poppy isn't unique just to Australia. Apparently, it's common through the Anglosphere. You may wonder what we mean by tall poppy. Well, my best understanding is that it's when one of the flowers gets a little bit taller than everything else, they want to cut it to size so it isn't ahead of everyone else. It doesn't rejoice at someone's prosperity. It gets resentful. It gets envious. And it tries to undermine. So we're going to see an example of tall poppy in the life of Isaac. And how he handled opposition is an inspiration for us all. Remember, Isaac was in the land of Canaan. It had drought and famine. 
He sought God for a word, what do I do? He thought God might give him permission to go to Egypt, but instead God told him to stay put. Now, I have to be honest, the text doesn't say he sought God, but it does say the Lord spoke to him. Now, God could have spoken to him even before he sought or as a result of the seeking. Either way, God spoke, and the good thing for all of us is that Isaac listened. And in verse 12, because he listened, he sowed in the land, and that's Genesis 26, 12, and after sowing in the land, in the same year reaped a hundredfold. And this, friends, a hundredfold increase is in a time of drought and famine. This is prosperity in crisis. Let me say it is possible to prosper in crisis, but you have to do it Isaac's way. Now, there will be opposition, the tall poppy syndrome. All of this is wonderful, but when you prosper, it is possible to stir up deep envy on the part of friends, family, people that know you, or even strangers that don't. The locals can get resentful. That's what Isaac would discover. But what I want to share, how he handled this and powered on, which is an example for us all, because friends, look, opposition happens. It's part of living in a fallen world. And if you're going to live for God and live for the full, especially in a culture which is becoming increasingly hostile to biblical Christian norms, what do you do? Now, it can come in many forms, in many different ways, but the fact is, it happens. And sometimes it happens, as I said, from the unexpected sources, from people who you think will be on side, even people in the church. Hopefully not, but it does happen. However it does manifest, let's see what we can do about it. Because I'm telling you now, your ability to handle all kinds of situations, both the good and the bad, can determine how far you go in the things of God. So opposition, as I said, is a fact of life in a fallen world. Now, it won't always stay like this. We believe Jesus will return in his time, possibly much sooner than we think, but we don't know the day and hour. So when God prospers you, especially in a time of crisis, when you're doing so well, I've heard this, where people said in the year of pandemic and lockdown that they personally or their ministries have done really well. And can I say, God bless them. That's wonderful. But not everybody wants to hear that because how come they did well while I struggle? What's wrong with me? Why doesn't God love me? And I don't have easy answers, but I can say that God doesn't play favorites. I fervently believe that. And there are lessons to learn, and maybe some people did the right thing and some people didn't, and hence the blessing and the lack of blessing. But whatever the case, people may not line up to pat you on the back and congratulate you for blessing. Resentment can rise up and manifest in some strange, bizarre, and unsavory ways. So the Bible gives several examples of tall poppy-style envy, where one party is resenting the other party. For example, the wives of Jacob, Rachel and Leah. Rachel resented Leah because, well, Leah was having the children. In fact, she had six sons, and Rachel was struggling to have any children. Eventually, she had two, two boys named Joseph and Benjamin, but she paid with her life when Benjamin was born. You have the example of Jacob's sons to Joseph. They were hostile. You have Balak to Israel, Dathan and Abiram to Moses. Saul was very, very envious of David. 
chief priests were envious of Jesus. He was getting all the attention and lauded by the people, and they didn't like it. Diaspora Jews did the same to Paul. Places he went to like Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica, it just was on for young and old. Now, tall poppy can be cured by the new birth, but that's only at the beginning. There is also the cross of Christ, dying to self, putting God's word in your heart, and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, Isaac's opponents were the Philistines. First, they were so resentful of him and his success that it says that they expelled him from their city of Gerar. Now, Isaac was dwelling in the southern part of the country at Gerar. And yes, his neighbors were the Philistines. He had lived with them for a while. And it seemed to be going all right until verse 12 of Genesis 26, that he sowed in the land and in the same year reaped a hundredfold and God blessed him. When that happened, that was just too much for them. They actually told him, get out. You're becoming too big for us. And if only it would have stayed just like that. I mean, Isaac was a big boy. He could find a new place to live. But it didn't stop there because it went on like this. There were wells to draw water from. Isaac's father, who was much older than him, Abraham, had dug wells in the vicinity. The Philistines filled up the wells. Now, why would you do that in a land that's so desperate of water? Well, I can't say for sure completely. I mean, we're talking about nearly 4,000 years ago. But one of the things is that wells represented not just a source of water, but possibly also title deed. And if the title deed was represented by the wells by filling them up, it's saying that this guy who dug the well no longer has title to the land. That's one possible explanation. So what do we learn from that? They filled up the wells. Isaac is now going to have to redig the wells and possibly dig new wells where there wasn't any. So Isaac will prove to be what I call a role model on how to handle opposition. This is, so what is the opposition thus far? Isaac expelled from Gerar and the wells of his fathers were filled up. When something like this happens, make sure and do everything in your power to resist discouragement. It is important to have a lifestyle of seeking God, praying to God, praising, blessing, and thanking God. Let me say it again. Living a victorious life that prospers in crisis, we have to continually seek God, pray to God, praise, worship, and thank constantly. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. By doing that, you're actually not just speaking the language of faith, you're also enunciating the language of victory. So if it happens that you're opposed for whatever thing, not only is it the sign that you're on the right track, that's why you're being opposed, but it's even a sign that you're winning because the opposition, they may seem nasty and ferocious, but there's a fear element too, that somehow you might get so big for your britches then you can bully them. Not that you would intend to do that, but that's what happens in natural carnal thinking. There are practical ways to respond that will leverage you to a more victorious outcome. Let's look to Isaac again as our guide, because he's a textbook case of what we call biblical meekness. And the reward of biblical meekness 
is that you will inherit the land. Psalm 37, verse 9, and Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, straight out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall inherit the earth. Again, this term is very misunderstood. Meekness is equated with mousiness, fearfulness, pushover, somebody that can be stepped upon, but that's not really what it's about. Biblical meekness is strength restrained by grace. How did Isaac respond to being expelled from Gerar? Well, when he was told he's not wanted, he just left. He didn't fight. He didn't roll up his sleeves. He didn't get into a shouting match. If they don't want me, then I don't want to be here either. I don't want to be where I'm not wanted. I know there's a phrase, it's not in the Bible, but there is some wisdom to it, but don't take it too seriously as well. Go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. I've heard that phrase so much. Again, there are times we need to do that, and there's times we need to stay put regardless. But Isaac thought, well, if they don't want me, why would I want to be with hostile neighbors? So he just moves, possibly said nothing, just packed his bags quietly and went. Then what else? Not only did he not fight back actively, he didn't also seek vindication. He didn't strive in any way. He just shrugged his shoulders and moved on. Because Isaac wisely knew that in the face of provocation, especially as he was to dig and plant seed or dig with his spade and have new wells, that if you throw down the spade and pick up a weapon to fight, it means that your opponents have already won. Now, how do your opponents win when you haven't even started the proper fight? Because they're getting you to stop doing what you've been called to do so you can engage with them. Isaac's response was amazing. He just kept on digging wells. He just kept plowing soil. He just kept planting seed. He just kept watering. He just kept doing what he was supposed to do, what he was called to do. And guess who else did that? Nehemiah. Centuries later, he faced furious opposition from the locals for simply trying to build up the walls of Jerusalem. But instead of throwing down the spade and picking up the weapon, his men labored twice as hard under great pressure. His enemies couldn't compete. He completed the walls in a record 52 days. And the enemies eventually gave up. When people tell you you can't, keep working. When you're criticized for doing what is right, keep working. When bullies bellow, keep working. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 16, verse 7. The psalmist in Psalm 38, 13 to 15, learned to be deaf and dumb. I mean, he didn't speak. Maybe mute is a better term. In the face of opposition. That's actually good because you don't even notice it because you're too busy doing what you've been called to do. It's amazing how much of carnal harassment you miss out on when you're partially blind and deaf. But if you want the perfect example of earth-inheriting biblical meekness, it has to be Jesus of Nazareth. This was especially true during his passion and crucifixion. Without resistance, defense, arguing, or even answering back, he submitted to God to the point of death on the cross. Even from a secular view, the influence of Jesus of Nazareth on the world has been incalculable. Not only is he the most influential person who ever lived, and Australians voted that in a 2008 survey, 54%. Most influential person who ever lived. But the approximate year of his birth is the starting point of our calendars. For believers, his church is global and his legacy is eternal 
For as Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Truly the meek shall inherit the earth. And remember, the two most powerful men in Scripture, Moses and Jesus, I'm talking about signs and wonders, were both called meek. With that in mind, friends, that's how you handle opposition. It's grace that restrains strength, and God's power is manifest through you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for lessons on prospering, handling opposition, coming out on top, and we thank you, God. You have begun a good work through all of us. Have us listen to the Holy Spirit, hide your word in our heart, embrace the cross of Jesus, and become new creations in Christ, in whose mighty name we pray. Amen.